Good evening and welcome back to The Front Porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined, once again, by Michael Daniels. How's your Monday, Mike? Uh, It's pretty great, actually. I like it so far. It's uh, a tiring Monday. I played some games all day yesterday. All day yesterday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I I got off of ICGCon a week ago, and I almost always take a good month off of doing any games. intense gaming not not just games because i'll still do tuesday games and stuff but anything sure. extra and just try to unwind and decompress from that weekend not this year man i just pete and i were talking and decided we were going to run twilight imperium the next week and well that um that doesn't surprise me because you said last week that uh for all of your organizing and moderating you didn't get to play as many games as you would have liked and yeah. so yeah, that, that sort of makes sense. Also, Pete is a little bit of a uh, a pusher for TI, so let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, I guess good news segment or good good times, I should say. So you you finally you finally joined the the ranks of the. I mean, I've played it once, but it, yeah. it takes twelve hours to play. So I think it is a like rite of passage, right? It is kind of playing like any that. other game three or four times. So. Yeah, it's uh, I th- w- one of the things that Pete had, had commented on is that we, I was one of the last ones. I had kind of always wanted to play it since the first one, and mm-hmm. just you know things didn't work out, whatever it had been, and uh, I I didn't get to play it. And he, he wanted to be able to. He's got obviously this grand scheme that he wants to play it many many times. He owns it and spent a ton of money on it. Right. I, I get that, but um. So he was like, this is the last time that we can get the last person who's never played. And then from then on here, whenever we play, we'll be able to like go full at it. But I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel. I still feel probably how you felt <laughs> a week ago after you were done playing it. You know, you feel kind of shell-shocked. and <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. This, it... was, this was started at like four and we played until one. So Oh, that's that's a late start. Yeah. That that was on me though. That was on me. It, we, here in in the, the location that we're at, um, we have the daylight savings time, so we skipped forward an hour, and I got the days wrong. I thought it was um, the oh, that's right, the next day. So what happened was that I, I thought I was showing up at three o'clock, and I actually showed up at four o'clock. So that that actually screwed me up last night because I've got, you know, I got computers, iPhone, Apple Watch, but. On the wall behind my monitor, I almost always like to keep a wall clock. Mm-hmm. And I forgot by last night. And so I was on, uh, I'm playing Factorio again, though it's mostly just uh, our buddy Chris Borland and I. He's he's playing for the first time. So it's fun to just kind of see what he's doing and try to help him without fixing everything for him. Because that's the way that game works. When you are playing it for the first time, you're just like, you're making a complete mess because you have no idea how to do anything. Yeah. And once you've played it a couple times and you figure out the ratios and the and the design patterns, you can't really go back to that crazy, awesome chaos of what. But anyway, I was on that last night, and uh, I normally try to try to be asleep around three, and so I shut my computer off thinking it was two, and it was and it was already three. I was like, right. oh, the stupid thing. Yeah, stupid thing. Yeah, so I, anyway, yeah, I, 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 so I, I don't know. I, I like it. I think everyone would give that same uh, thing about that game is that they kind of like it. It's mm-hmm. 
we, we talked about a little bit today about how we could you could streamline that game to make it a little bit quicker and drop some things that aren't extra. But when you do that, then it's not really Twilight Imperium because the part about one of the big things about Twilight Imperium is that it has so many things to it, and that's why you play it. Sure. Right? It, I mean, you don't play it unless you're like, I want to play a game that has so many systems. And I don't mean like star systems. I mean like game systems, within game systems. And, and each one is fully blown up. So that's what this is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at a high level in general terms, that's true of so many things. And I, I have this argument sometimes with people, uh, my, my friends who are anti-iPhone, for example. And they're like, yeah. oh, they should make the OS open source or let it install on different devices. And I'm like, we have everything now. Like, yeah. if you if you want a, a long, complicated, with a lot of choices and details and, and skills to be learned uh, MOBA, you can play League of Legends. Yeah. If you want a, a game that is more balanced, more team-focused, shorter matches, fewer detailed choices, you can play Heroes of the Storm. And that's fine. Like... Heroes doesn't need to be more complicated, and League doesn't need to be simpler. Yeah. It's fine for each to be what it is. There are like 7 billion people or something. You know, they yeah, can we, coexist. we can have them both, right. Yeah. So Twilight Imperium is definitely in, in the, the we-have-everything category. Um, yeah, that's 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 where I was going with that, because I saw the, the conversation you guys talking about, and you're like, yeah, you could do this and this, but uh, then it's basically this game. Like, yeah. There are tons of games. If you want a shorter game, you could just play a shorter game. Yeah, yeah, and and it, and it was great. And I, I liked the thing is is that all of the systems that they had, I liked them all. I mean, individually, I like in this mm-hmm. game you can upgrade your ships, which is a major is the point of the game. You have yep, ships, yep. and then uh, you can upgrade, or you can upgrade your own army. I guess called your tech trees, and, and then you can, um, uh, you know, there's agendas where we all vote on things and make laws of stuff and. There's secret agendas, group agendas. There's just a lot. I like them all. I like all of the stuff. And they are all pretty well done, which makes the game why everybody kind of likes that game is because it everything that it has is pretty well balanced and well done. And Pete does a good yeah, job I mean, when he makes the they're, maps they're to up make to, them even. They're up to 4th edition, so they've been tweaking and, yeah. and adjusting things. So I, I, it has the problem that any game, any game ever made has. <laughs> is that you when you play it as a new person if you're playing against other people you're immediately for the first depends on your your learning curve mine's about i think my learning curve is what i call a 25 percenter is that when 25 percent of the game is done then i'm starting to get on board with how this game works right okay and some people it depends they could be a 50 percenter 75 percent like okay now when the game is almost done i finally figured out how it works and i'm ready to go right it, i i think mm-hmm. i'm pretty good at catching things on because of my experience with other games but sure. the problem with something like this is that 25 percent in and you're, you're three hours into the game <laughs> you know and some major points of things have happened and yeah if you're you're kind of always you're even if you're a 25 percenter you're going to be kind of behind a lot right of the and I, while i wasn't i i did end up one person to my right away from actually winning the game the wow. person who went to my right just got a higher initiative to get the last point. If he had not, which was Pete, by the way, if if he did not get that one card higher initiative, I had everything to go here. I win. So it, it was 
even though I was a noob and I got behind and there things, I, I still was able to to move forward. But it does have the issue that you're playing for a game for 12 hours and you're going to feel terrible about a move you make for an hour. Hmm. Right? Like, if I make a bad move yeah. in Legendary, within 15 minutes, I've kind of compensated. <laughs> your, your turn has come back around. Yeah. And that's a thing I didn't really notice when I played, but hearing you talk about it and thinking about the session that I played, um, uh, Chris won our game. Well, yeah. quote-unquote won. We, yeah. we handed him the victory. But he was still in second place, you know, before that happened. And that was his first time playing. Yeah. Um and and mine as well. Like I don't know if the two um Adam and Eric had played the game before, but I know Zahn did and yeah. Chris and I were both ahead of Zahn. I mean, I know Zahn is kind of a a chaos player with board games, yeah. you know, so it's not it's not saying a whole lot to, you know, to be ahead of him, but Yeah, Zahn plays the game that that he wants to play instead of the game as it's told you to play. Which which is fine. I mean, yeah. that's Right. I said that I talked about that a little bit last week with the, you know, whether you're having fun if you're not winning. Yeah, right. And mindset. he is. He never has to win, and he always has fun with it. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And that that so that's what we had was that you know, it, it just took me a long while to and I got frustrated at the beginning early because you know you get knocked out of a choice and then you feel mm-hmm. that you've spent. I mean, the thing is that you feel you you feel you spent two to three hours doing one thing trying to do a thing and then and then get blocked on it yeah, yeah and you don't sure. and you don't have a perspective that there's actually another six hours left of the game that's true you know you don't have that perspective you just feel like i've been playing this for a long time to get to this one point and you finally get to it and you can't do it it's like you know there's no way i can spend that much time doing other things um so yeah and maybe that's another problem is that the game ramps up in the last thirty percent, it gets everything starts getting double victory points, double stuff. Right. So you spend, you know, seventy five percent of the game, sixty six seventy five percent of the game, just slowly kind of slogging your way through, you know, inch by inch, and then all of a sudden you're taking three feet at a time. Sure. Uh, so which is a weird thing, um, but yeah, I liked it. I, I man, I don't know if I would be able to play that soon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I. I think that's something I have to have a month go by at least. Right, right, yeah. If not more than that, um, which is kind of you know I know people like uh, Pete want to play it again, and so we all know are fresh in our minds and how to do it. Sure, but well, it's just you know, how do you feel about like I know I, we talked about this a little bit before, and you, it, how you have played long games at least the last couple ICG cons, and um, you've played you know Twilight Imperium and World of Warcraft and a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. Are, how do you feel about those long games that are good, but it's hard to say like this, this is better than the other ones I've played. Um, mm-hmm. I did not particularly enjoy rising sun or game of Thrones, both yeah. of which are very long. Um, and you know, I loved the aesthetic of rising sun. I think I said that last week mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like m- most, most of, uh, um, the first world. I'm I'm a big fan of Game of Thrones. I did yeah. I did read the books before the show started, but I'm not one of those. I I read all of them like in the six months before the show started. I didn't start reading back in the '90s when he wrote them. Um, yeah. You know, and so there's 
there was every reason for me to enjoy both of those games, but I just couldn't find it. And, you know, yeah. a lot of that is me, uh, you know, finding finding the enjoyment, win or lose, as, as I mentioned. Yeah. Um, it's a hard thing. Like, I, I struggle a lot with, um, I don't know, people call it ADHD. I definitely don't. I'm not self-diagnosing myself with right. ADHD. But a lot of times when I'm doing it, like, I can be doing something recreational fully. I mean... I can be playing the PlayStation and then I'll have moments where I'm like, uh, if I finish this quest, I could go do something else. Yeah. Right. And that something else is just playing a video game on my computer. Like why, (laughs) you know, it's not like, it's not like I'm doing something onerous. It's not like I'm working or, you know, driving and although i definitely get that in both of those cases but it's like i'm doing something fun and at the same time i'm thinking about something else fun that i would rather be doing Um, and so that that plays into uh, a long board game a long board game for me does not do the thing that i've pretty much only experienced with uh world of warcraft minecraft factorio and maybe original StarCraft. Were you spending copious amounts of time at one thing? Maybe a little bit of Diablo and probably some other video games along the way. So those are all video games. But um, those are games where I can get sucked into what I'm doing and and just hours will pass without me even being aware of it. Sure. Um, right. I don't think I've ever found a board game that does that because it's so... It's usually so thoughtful. And it's also very, most most games are very, you do your turn and then you wait. Yeah, and, and metered. I said that, I don't know if I said this on the show, but when we were all playing, not all, you know, when a handful of us were playing Stardew Valley when it came out on iOS, um, I said, I like this game, but the day cycle of like doing a bunch of stuff and then going to bed makes me want to turn it off. And I'm not, does, I'm not, right I'm not saying that as a slam. It's just like once I do a bunch of things that my character does a bunch of things in the day, and then goes back to the cabin and goes to sleep, I'm like, oh, I'm done. I did that. Right. I did today's work. Yeah, and then move exactly. on. Exactly. Well, the, the which something... is which is good if you're prone to, you know, video game addictive uh, uh, traits, yeah. but uh, but not for you know staying. Right. I, I I had staying problems with that with that cycle type thing is, is that I it never felt long enough. And I was always frustrated that I, I couldn't get what done what I wanted to get done. And then for example, mining, I would want to go mine. And then, you know, I, you can only do it once every once in a while because if you got to do other stuff and it was like very frustrating, every, every little chunk that I had to do something, it made me do something different, but, but I, I'm getting off topic here. The, the, something I wanted to Sorry. say about, about uh, twilight Imperium that this morning it was really, aware to me was that it's extremely stressful. Maybe it's Mm. just for me, but it was very stressful because you have to get points and you have to do a strategy and the game plays like any other game, except that it's slower, that there's a lot of things in a round and that everybody does. So like I said, in a, a game where I have to make a move or do something, 
most games, I could make a move, try to do this thing, and then within five minutes, it comes back around to me again, and either I've made that move or I've not been able to make that move, right? So I will look at something, make a plan in Twilight Imperium, and then I stress for the next hour because I don't know that it has to hit the end of the round before I can score. And then is somebody going to screw with me? You know, their turn is three turns off. And then maybe somebody comes off to the left field and does something. I don't know. And it's just, a, it stressed me out like crazy. Um, and I needed, you know, you find a path to kind of get points or go away. And it just was constantly, is somebody going to screw with that for like slow mm-hmm. motion? That was the thing is it, yeah. it felt like in slow motion. I don't mind stress in a game. That's a good thing. <laughs> But this was in slow motion stress. So much so that when I went home and I went to bed, I dreamt about it. Right. It was just it, because it felt like for the last eight hours, eight to whatever, 10 hours, something it was, I was stressed thinking about <laughs> a move at a time that would take 30 to 40 minutes to, to complete. And so it was I'll just say, still on my mind. I'll say that when we played, uh, I was I was drinking as as I do. <laughs> playing board games most of the time Mm -hmm. um especially with the group down there and i got to a point where i was like okay i'm not like i i had enough to drink that i'm like i don't really care what's going and like the game went on so long that i actually could could come back down like sober back up a little bit to to care a little more toward the end (laughs) but uh that's i guess that's my indication of Yes, I was a little bit stressed, and that's how I could tell. Yeah, it, it uh, the the and the worst part is that you know I I I actually enjoy playing games with Pete, but he's very much a diplomacy player. Mm-hmm. So he will spend you will do a thing, and you will spend copious amounts of times trying to convince you why that's not a good move, and it adds to more stress on top of the stress I've been spending getting to that point. And, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, it was a lot of stuff. And then you would have the random, again, the reason this is a bigger deal than other things is because everything takes so much longer, you know, you to, right. to, to do something in that game, it takes a while and you're just playing everything. When I was t- talking about making the game more streamlined, it was just that, cause I like the game. I just want it to go quicker and I don't want to have to have like between my turn, it'd be, t- you know, 10, 10 to 20 minutes or longer. Um, before I get to actually do things um, and yeah. ha- have that lower amount of stress. So, I, yeah, then all of a sudden somebody would come in and do something completely crazy that would make no sense and wreck your whole plan. And then I can't, I, you know, <laughs> I, I still can't have a problem where I don't take that personally type thing, you know? Yeah, where I, yeah. It's like, um, I mean, I said that at the top, like you, your goal for each round is to like get one point to complete that one quest and if somebody you know whether aggressively or just because it's in their best interest Mm -hmm. uh you know does something that prevents you from reaching that goal you're like oh cool cool the last 90 minutes are a complete waste right it was something that made me eventually as the night as the second half of the the night went on to be much more successful was that i used my in light real life skill diplomacy type personality to talk to people namely the people that were I knew that were amicable to actually talking and not messing around um Justin and Bruce which is some friends of ours right about you know before I would be pretty open with what I wanted to do okay I want to do this kind of sure. I want to do something over here and you know I don't want to mess with you 
if you want to get a plan that involves me, what can I do to help you get your plan and I get my plan? And every interaction was very much a let's do an even kind of trade thing so that you're advancing and I'm advancing. And and then I wouldn't deal with them the next time I deal with another person or maybe have two people with an amicable thing happening at the same time. So I'm getting two advancements at once, Mm. you know, so it was it was very much a time of that second half of the game was not fighting at all. It was like Pat and Pete were fighting with with Zana stuff, but it was just sure (laughs) it was just um a lot of talking. I was, was going to ask if Pat was in that game and how he felt about your uh, uh, egalitarian diplomacy. Well, he—that's the thing—is I, I can't do that with Pat. Pat is Pat is. I love him, love him, and love. He's one of my best friends. But man, he will turn on you in a heartbeat without a second thought. He is ruthless in every game he plays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and I take that as a long-term. That's something to talk about: is long-term trustworthiness or honor? I guess you'd say. <laughs> You know what I mean? When, when I don't we play think with we've games, talked about this people. on the air. This is a little, this is a little, a little personal su- between between our our circle of friends down. Well, no, I mean, I, I, we can move off of TI and kind of talk this, but a little little subject. It's not necessarily just with our group of friends, but when you play with groups of people, and you could play Sorry or Candyland or or whatever it might be, Monopoly, um, and if someone plays. And does something aggressive, and that's the way they play. And they know that at one time they will tell you, "I'm going to make a deal with you," and then five minutes later they find it's in their best interest to do something else, and they don't have a problem with just slitting your throat. Hmm. That's something that holds from game to game if you play with the same people, right? Yeah, it depends on their attitude and how apologetic they are. This is actually a thing that I want to mention when we get to our um, our 2020 uh, movie conversation, but. Uh, it's just a little bit similar to how actors carry their um, their gravitas or their like their personas from mm-hmm. from work to work, like from movie to movie. Yeah, um, in the sense that you can't entirely separate, depending on the actor, depending on what they do. You know, mm-hmm. if if you see Morgan Freeman in a movie, you have a pretty that's a good uh, example. A pretty strong expectation of what kind of character he's going to play. And then the the writer, the director, can use that positively or negatively. They could say, oh, well, get ready to have your, your expectations subverted. Like, he's going to be a crazy, you know, profane Samuel L. Jackson character or something. I'm just making that up. Right, but, no, yeah. Um, and that is, it's context that exists outside of, the piece of work itself. Right. And and that translates to this game situation where if you're playing with somebody, eventually you get to know them and you know what kind of player they are. I chose in this game, we did a whole thing where we kind of drafted how, where we sat at the table and then our, our, our classes. So that was just as an important thing as anything. And I, and Pete picked first, he just randomly got the draw. And then I picked second. And I intentionally chose to sit next to him, which in this game for our mm. listeners is that like you're usually aggressive with your neighbors. Um, but I, I chose that because I know kind of what to expect from him. I know, sure. you know, I know that there's going to be points that will, you know, he will, he will play the game of what's best for you and what's best for me. And he is willing to play that game, but I know when he'll, when he'll cut a throat and he also knows me too. He knows that I'm also one of those stupid players that 
if you if you truly backstab, I will wreck a game. Like you'll just tilt and yeah, yeah, and and I will be like, I, I did that before. Someone was like, well, I'm gonna, th- I just want to take your base because I think it's cool and I want to do that. So I'm like, okay, the rest of my game is gonna be centered around doing nothing but losing, making you lose, right? Um, and that's not a cool way to play. I get that, <laughs> but. I will play strategically all the way through, but there are times when it comes through when it, cause I would never do that. I would never be with somebody who would, you know, even at my own cost, I will hold up my end of the deal. Right. Um, right. so when someone does it the other way, I, you know, it's kind of like, well, we're going to teach, it's going to be a teachable moment here. You know, that, <laughs> that you can't lose if you, if you screw other people over or you can't win. Right. Right. Um, right. So anyway, that's, that was, that's something that I think is an interesting psychological topic or sociological whatever topic sociological yeah 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 that that you know you got to be careful you got to be aware of that and and i don't think some people are some people play a game to game and then you realize that person you need to wreck you know and never trust yeah it's sort of um i mean it's just a it's just a microcosm example of how you deal with people in life like you can't you know somebody hurts you in some way or whatever you take that context into subsequent interactions with them yeah right so so when you're playing games with people and if you've got groups of friends it's always good it's always good advice to realize that you know this thing you know what's it called karma it's all this is karma right karma comes back through around that you know if you if you're if you're aggressive or angry one time it'll cause it whether it's not in the game or somewhere else that you you play something like there so anyway, TI being such a long game or any long game like that, you know, just makes these things exponentially bigger and more important. And uh, yeah, so that, that's that's my TI. Stuff. <laughs> right on. I um I don't have any uh, um, good times like that. I know we started with good times. That was half an right, hour right, ago. Right. But um, Sorry, yeah, right. I have just been like wanting... Twilight Imperium take forever. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I've been wanting to get back into the Lord of the Rings uh, LCG. Yeah, right. I've n- I've not been able to find the table that I was using. It's just a big TV tray. I ended yeah, you up mentioned just... that. Do you have like a special table that made you feel better about playing that? No, it's just that I where I'm staying, I just have one room, and it's got a bed and dresser and the you know my standing desk for work like there's no space in here and i'm not gonna set up the lord of the rings game like on the dining room table upstairs um and so i had this uh plastic folding table it's like a big tv tray it's just big enough for a standard size play mat um and i could play it on there sitting on my bed and i could leave it set up because it was small enough um anyway i ordered another one of those i did buy the early access uh to the steam version of this game it's oh yeah right it's wait, sort wait. of wait wait explain it to me real quick because i thought that game was one of those free to play that you but you buy expansions how did you buy you buy you bought early access it's yes it's free to play with expansions um but it's uh it's new it's a new studio it's Final Fantasy, not Final Fantasy, Fantasy Flight Interactive, I think oh, is the name. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's their first game, first uh, app game, whatever. You know, Fantasy Flight seems like a, a good thing for that because so many of their games are so little parts and little pieces and lots of systems that sure. it would make sense to lend it to. A... Exactly. Okay. And so 
it's not out yet, so it's it's early access. And what you get for early access is like some of the card packs and some of the currency. Um, I'm not sure it's it's like a buy expansion things because it's still a living card game. They're not going to have like random boosters, um, but it's I think it's going to be like a free to play, and then you buy the. Um, by the adventure sets, just like you do with the physical game. Okay. Um, and it's, I think some of the prices seem a little high compared to, I don't know, can, Candy Crush gems or something. Um, okay. <laughs> but compared to the physical game, of course, they're dirt cheap because there's no Are they? Okay. printing cost or anything. But that's all relative. But uh, yeah, I was bored uh, early one morning. I, I woke up too early and couldn't fall back asleep. And so I bought it and... Uh, tried it a couple times it's uh, i don't want to say that it's very different from the physical game because it has all the same art um a lot of the same mechanics uh but it plays a little more hearthstone style where you are playing against an opponent the opponent is always sauron okay um and so you're playing against an ai opponent and it unlike hearthstone if you're playing against bots is still very very difficult yeah um, i mean the I game had, is difficult itself i i had forgotten because like i i bought it the other morning and i played the the first tutorial mission and i'm like oh this is pretty fun i'll have fun with this and then like the next day i got on it again and tried to do the first quest and failed and i was like yeah. oh yeah this is this game this is how this is and so I, <laughs> now, I i thought some more about my deck and switched cards around and tried it again and still failed um and then on my third time through uh uh succeeded and then did i think one or two more quests after that do you do you ever do just i don't know if this this isn't don't take this as a character question because that's not, I don't mean it by this, but do, do you have those times when you're like, you play two or three turns into a game, especially like a solo game like this and say like, this is going nowhere. I'm going to reset. Um, I have done that with the physical version of that's, this game. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like things like the physical, because, because I will admit that I've done that a couple of times with that. Like, you know, I can clearly see that I'm half dead by the third round and I've got overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, just, just stop and reset. Well, that's the thing that I talk about with, um, with board games. Like if a, if a board game has a condition and, you know, our buddy Trotsky will tell us, will tell me this doesn't exist, but if a board game has a condition where you can tell a third of the way into the game that you have no chance of winning uh the, the, that that to me is a design flaw now of course the real solution to that is to be okay not winning uh but yeah. that's hard um right and the frustrating thing to me about that is that you can't like you're socially obligated to stay in the game you can't yeah, right. you can't rage quit and not you know look like a baby you know, right. you can do that in a video game. You can, right. you know, unplug your land cable or something and you'll never see those people again. So it doesn't matter, right. um, in, you know, in a random match. And the longer but, the game, the, the worse this gets. Exactly. Like, that's right. that's my problem with Rising Sun. Um, right. But in a I mean, Twilight game, Imperium had it, too. When you're done for the last three hours, you're like, at this point, I know I have no they're too far ahead. No point to victory. And then if you're behind, man. 
you can hear see people check out. Sure, sure. For like three hours. Yeah, yeah. And that that to me is the real issue with very long games like that. Okay. Um, but in a in a solo game, there's none of that. Um, and yeah. so then it just depends on how well you can read the board and how um, whatever, like, like just judge whether you can come back from a from an early setback or something. Like I know there was a guy on the uh, on one of the podcasts for this game that made a deck he called the one deck that mm-hmm. could beat every quest that had been published up to that point. Yeah. And he had listed his like attempts. Most of the quests he was able to beat in one attempt or adventures scenarios, I forget what the, forget what they're called. Um except for uh Escape from Dolgodur, the first the third quest in the core set. Yeah. They make the hardest one the third quest. That game I mean was... it's it's to, <laughs> as as I understand it, it's to date the absolute um uh, the absolute hardest um, scenario in the game. But yeah. when he was testing, because that's one where one of your heroes gets kidnapped at the very beginning, yeah. and his because he built a deck that could beat anything, of course it was very... Um, uh, it was very hero-dependent. Like, he needed this exact setup for the, the whole thing to work. And so what he did was... He would set up an initial game, turn over the first cards, pick who was getting kidnapped, and from that setup, he knew whether it was winnable. Right. Right. And so he just kept doing that until he got one that he could proceed on. And so in the chart, when he lists how many attempts, that scenario took 37 attempts. But it doesn't mean he played 37 whole games. It means he set up 37 games. Yeah, right. And, and you know, that's... There's some talk, some opinions that, you know, you're kind of this again, our buddy Trotsky would would argue that, you know, you should play through them and learn and grow as a person type thing. But I I think that, uh, again, it depends on what you find entertaining. And and I can lose a game. I can lose a game and be okay with losing. I I lost TI last night and I'm okay losing it. But I felt that I was having a good run. You know, there was times at the end there where I felt like I could make it and make something of it and make progress. And even if there was a point where I didn't think I was going to win, but I halfway through, I was halfway through and that felt good that if I end up short, I was doing good stuff. Yeah. You can find a, you can find a micro goal or, or something like that, or you, you know, learn more about the game, learn more about your opponents or something like that. In a game like Lord of the Rings, uh, you might, you might wipe, you know, uh, reset the game and you know like you already learned your lesson your lesson was don't use these you know don't put these cards in your deck get these instead because that's how the game is, is that's built. how the game is made yeah or hey, you know or you that, just I mean, get a bad draw like you draw early you know you maybe made a mistake in one of your rounds and now you do a thing that one of your heroes is dead in your third round and you're like yeah this is over or you get shadow cards that come up and hit you hard exactly and, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I we play, we talked about that for a long time when it first came out about a year ago, and I still to this day I don't know if you and I have played that multiplayer together, have we? Mm. We did at Gen Con. Did we? Okay. Remember there was oh that, yeah like, yeah that's that's different though that was like a specialty their, thing their PvP sort of yeah, sort of setup 
We we should play that. Like next time you come in town, like bring a deck and and stuff, and we should play a couple. I, I brought decks to ICGCon, but I knew it was a long shot. Right, but that but that's because I played I played it before, and it does that game does have a bit of a time thing. It takes a little bit longer with multiplayer, but um, mm-hmm. but we should do that. We should you know we should make some time for that because that's that's pretty it's pretty fun to play. It's a di- it's a different game than playing solo. It really is. Yeah. Um and I actually think it's a little easier and makes it a little uh, less stressful. Well, yeah, I mean the scaling is such that a lot of people um will play uh they call it two hands or or something. They'll play yeah. two players. They're still one person, but they're playing yeah. two sets of two decks yeah. and two sets of heroes because the the difficulty scales, you'll get more enemies to attack but there are mechanics that only matter in in co-op um like yes. ranged and guard and sentinel and things like that yeah 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 so yeah we, we should do that sometime though. that's that's good hey before we get off of good times here there was go something ahead. that um what that i did this weekend i got to go see captain marvel this last weekend that's mm. definitely i think what i would consider as a good time did you did you get out, go out to see that i did yeah what'd you think uh it was good it was good i i was not sure what to expect um some sort of ambitious uh stuff with the de-aging tech and the um two two things two things comment on that comment on that first tell me about that like Um, was did it go good for you was it okay it was a major part of the whole movie (laughs) it was it was i think i think without sam jackson this movie flops. Yeah, he was the he I was mean, the comic he was the comic relief in this. Uh, you know, the buddy cop. Brie Larson was great, but and I won't say they could have gotten anybody to play that role, but they could have gotten anybody to play that role. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I didn't mean right. to do that like that, but right. you know, she, they could she, have gotten any competent qualified I think her thing actor. Was, yeah. Right. I think um, she, her th- her big thing was she's got the hero pose down. That's that, if that's anything that she's got, she's got the hero pose down. Sure. Besides sure. that, you're probably right. And something that was that was strange to me, and I don't know in this in this world of um, you know trailers uh, giving away movie spoilers, though that's much tighter than it used to be. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that I will give major, I guess I guess major props to the I. I I can't decide whether to whether the whether to spin this positively or negatively. <laughs> uh, in the trailers, um, Brie Larson's acting was so stoic; it was almost wooden, right? Okay. Like like wooden acting, just complete lack of emotion or charisma or anything. Right. And then I go into the theater, and the movie starts, and she's funny. She's like. Uh, Chris she Pratt. does have a good personality. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, I'll, you know, a lot of stuff is just funny to her and she's irreverent and and smiling and laughing. And I'm like, this is so different from the way the trailers uh, um, set portrayed up her. Yeah. this character, portrayed this character. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so- and she actually had some good like facial expressions in that first. I actually now that you mentioned that I, I like the first 20 minutes the most where she's off planet and there's all that alien stuff because she, she's when she starts to get serious, which is after 20 minutes on, 
She, mm-hmm. It's not as enjoyable her performance as where she's happy, not happy, yeah, happy on Hala, right? She's happy doing her stuff. She's training with the her trainer guy and joking around. Right. Uh, you know, that was fun. I liked that. And then she got really serious and the plot gets really serious. And you're right. She she kind of loses some of that. Uh, I hope she goes back to being more fun. Uh, the only other, like, hot take I have is, um, and maybe this is some piece of nerd comic lore that I should have known, but I don't understand why her, uh, is it Krill, Krill, Kree? Kree? I always want to say Krill. Are, are the sure. Krills something from DC? No, Krill are, are things that the, whale the whales eat. eat. Right. Yeah. yeah right. um, um, no, Krill are from the Orville. That's what I'm thinking of. That is true. There. Uh, anyway, I don't understand why her Cree uniform has a Fortnite skin selector mode. Uh, that was actually I saw that. On, I, I've seen this. Admitting I've seen this movie twice. Um, that's actually is kind of not explained but illustrated. Um, she has her Cree colors, just like the Cree. You know your your uniform. Yeah, right? they're it's just green like a military uniform. Slightly would have. different green. Yes, right. that's their their thing. But when they first go onto the the outside planet, outlying planet to do their mission, um, they come up out of that water and they've got their Cree uniform, and it changes colors to the it, to the environment. It's active camouflage. Yeah, that's yeah, what it, that's what my brother said, Andrew. When I yeah, I leaned over to him, I was like, "Why would her suit do that? Why would it yeah. have technology to change color from the?" control panel that doesn't make any sense what what it does though i mean that totally makes sense yeah, and that, it, that if you does. looked at like some of the the thor worlds that they go to that are bright and shiny and galaxy worlds and stuff they could have lots of really bright and shiny which would make her blend in there so yeah that that i get because it was really cool when they went into it turned black and they become stealth type stuff so, so this this movie is a perfect example of what i used to always say about marvel before infinity wars is that the like most mediocre MCU film is still pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it might not be amazing. It might not be uh wonder woman, but it's nowhere close to Batman versus Superman or even justice league, which I thought was okay. It's better than last Jedi. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Right. Uh, uh, I, I, but I think this was a great origin story movie. It was just an yeah, origin story for right? to me as someone who knows nothing about, uh, the Cree or the Skrulls, aside mm-hmm. from seeing them name dropped in uh, Legendary, or yeah. and I think I knew the shapeshifter thing from when we mm-hmm. were talking about changelings in Star Trek or some other, uh, like the Battlestar Galactica thing. That idea of yeah. your enemies hiding in, in plain sight, um, yeah. or or imitating your allies, which is a big, which is the big fear. Um, and knowing that whichever, do they, do they both have blue blood or is it just the Kree? No, uh, it's just the Kree have blue blood. Did the Kree have blue blood and that's what they used in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to bring people back from the dead. Yes. Um, just like, just like Khan in, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, anyway, for me, not knowing any of that stuff, um, I was easily able to pick up and follow along with the whole arc of this story. It was, um, yeah. it was a little bit off putting to be thrown right into the action, but it's like, 
okay, here are these characters. They do this thing this way. I knew about the Veers thing because of something either you or Fox said about the dog tag. Um, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so I was able to, I was able to follow along with all of that. So I guess my big question for you in the conflict between the Cree and the Skrulls, are the Cree the bad guys? Uh, the Cree are very much in comic books, just like they show them in the Marvel universe. Actually, they, the the cinematic universe does a takes They're liberties. Like space Nazis, not well, kinda maybe. I mean, they uh, they're imperial, is the word sure. right? They're imperial. They're Romans, I guess is what you would say. Them. They even have their uniforms have the the helmet kind of centurion look to sure, them. Sure, sure. So they're they're very hers does Roman. Anyway. Yeah, right. They're they're very Roman, and uh, and that's that's so that's the best way to explain them. Nazis are very fascist and a lot more evil, pure evil. The, uh, yeah, just Romans in the, are evil, just in the but... like genocide aspect toward the the scrolls. But of course, yeah, right. if you're you know kind of like we talked about last week with the uh, uh, the Kalons, the robots in in the Orville, you know, if you're facing an enemy that you can't identify and that poses this great threat of being able to imitate anyone that you trust then maybe your fear reaction is this kind of thing which is of course the same line of reasoning that led people to become nazis and right people, well, well the, leads people in, in to the, the thing of, they kind really of mentioned in the movie now. and they it's in the same thing in the comic book too is that the Cree and the scroll have been like thousands of years war this isn't just like a, mm-hmm. a 40 year war this is like generational upon generational upon generational war and it sounds like in the in the marvel universe that the kree are winning by a lot um but that that was that was the cool twist i know there's a couple twists in this movie if you're not listening to watch captain marvel go away come back later um <laughs> yeah but the 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 couple twists here is that um they they leave lead you to believe that the the scroll and the Kree are in this embattled war, and really the Kree have just started decimating the the, the scrolls, and the crawl the scrolls are not necessarily bad guys, which is that's a really big twist for a comic book reader because the scrolls are bad guys. They just are. And they always have been. So making them sympathetic and good guys was a cool MCU twist that I enjoyed. It's like, hey, that's cool. I'm glad they did that. Um I had uh, oh I wanted to say something about this too. This is a cosmic movie, right? Like it's important to know that this is a Marvel cosmic movie, and they did the same thing that we talked In about. Space, yes. Uh, we talked. They did the same thing that we talked about a little bit ago about with Thor and other movies, it, or maybe I talked about in Group Me or something. Was mm-hmm. that? They start you off in a very fantastical place. Marvel does it. Very specifically, they start you out. This is a sci-fi movie. This is nothing like a normal thing that you're in an adventure with big, bright, colorful stuff right away. And you're like, okay, this is what I expect, right? This sure. is the kind of movie I'm watching. And then they take you to earth and you're back to normal again. That's the way that they get this whole like cosmic, crazy costume space stuff normalized. You know? Sure. I mean, that's the, I don't, I'm sure it didn't originate with this, but that's the no, same formula didn't. that they use in um, uh, the James Bond films. And that's what I mean. I don't think it originated with James Bond. Like a James Bond film, like who else does this? I think Mission Impossible maybe does this. Um, the, I think Star Trek Into Darkness does this, where the like very beginning of the movie, they're stealing the 
thing from the temple and the ship is underwater. Um, yeah. Every Bond movie, at least the classic era, pre-Daniel um, uh, Craig, always started with an action sequence. It's like this crazy thing and he's running and chasing and then bring him back down. He's going to go into the office. He's going to flirt with Money Penny. M's going to give him a mission and we're going to slow into this like sort of spy detective story. Uh, well, not 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 just the pacing. I, I guess I'm talking about like literally grounding, like earth based, normal, normalizing. Yeah. Be- because when you watch a show like Captain America, it's all normal with just small hints of you know, super stuff. And then you get Red Skull, right. it's a little bit more. But but they slowly get you into that kind of thing. But for the most part, you're watching a real show and Winter Soldier and the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Iron Man was the same way. He was very normal and then slowly pieced into his armor and, and it, it ramped you up into it. Right. But with the cosmic stuff, they put you in space and far-fetched Guardians of the Galaxy type stuff. And then all of a sudden bring you back down to like, okay, now we're on Earth. I I remember thinking that when I saw Guardians 2 because it starts off with this fantastical fight sequence and I remember sitting watching it and thinking what a what I this is an expression I use sarcastically all the time but what a time to be alive when <laughs> right, yeah. they can do they can put stuff on screen that you know is not real but yeah. it looks completely real you're like whatever this thing with the battery and the giant monster they're fighting and tiny little Groot dancing to, to electric light orchestra. Like right. it all looks real. Yeah. Um, like, and that's very cool. And that, right? and that was great. Uh, something I wanted to ask you and I forgot until I was uh, doing my bit about um, uh, the, the Cree and the Skrulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the deal with the Tesseract? Oh, it's just a, a weird thing. I actually had to. I, I had it in my mind, but somebody else asked that same I, question. I, I put it online. I googled in an article. it. I, had I googled it, it, and I was just more confused. So it's, it's like a, it's, a box. The cubes. It's yeah, one let, of the cubes. The cubes are used to contain. Ask, let me ask you a question so that I can okay. clarify your question. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, uh, how? Uh, when you say the tesseract, so are the, you asking like what's the timeline of the tesseract in the movies, or are you asking like what is it? So it's, it's the it, space gym. That's what it is. It is, but like the the Wikipedia page says that they're they're like containers. Sure, the sure. cosmic cubes are containers for something that's maybe what the gym is, or is it the same thing? Sure, I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess that could be the thing is that the cosmic cube holds and contains the 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 space gym, and it's it, and it just kind of you we've seen it in. Um, Captain America, the, the first Avenger, and other things where they are siphoning off energy from it. Uh, sure. So it's, it seems to be, I don't know who made it, but it seems to be a way, a mechanism to trap uh, an Infinity Stone. Because all the other Infinity Stones, if you touch them even, it's like some huge, crazy, powerful blow you up thing. So this seems to right. be a thing that can contain it and can try to manipulate its power. So the sp- Space gem. What does the space gem do? It's mainly teleporting. Every time, every time that uh, Thanos teleports from goes like walks backward into a big cloud thing and it teleports him, that's what the space gem does. Okay, it's it's a teleporting, but it's it's super but, powerful. But Carol Danvers doesn't teleport. No. So it. it I mean, they're parts of the cosmic universe. So sure. infinity gems are just super super power by nature. 
It's kind of like electricity does other things besides shock you. You can make it turn lights on and I gotcha. Run I gotcha. Your computer. And she doesn't she doesn't have it. No. Right? Like no. she's she's connected to it and some kind of power has either, that power either yeah. is has become charged with that power or is still able to because of course they used it to um her and Annette Benning to try and do their uh their light speed ship without right. having it's not like uh, you know, vision having it in his head, like they were using the power remotely. Well, yeah, that's a perfect example is that, that, you know, Annette Benning, which was Marvell, was trying to use the space gem without Cap- actually touching the space gem. Captain Marvell. Mar- Marvell, yeah. W- was trying to literally use the space gem, which she knew what it was and what it did, but, mm-hmm. you know, you, she couldn't touch it and control Thanos can because he's Thanos and he had a gauntlet crafted to help with it. Right. Um, but by the dwarves. But uh, so she was trying to do the same kind of thing, trying to use this box that had the affinity stone to, you know, teleport and to use its stuff. But she just hadn't been able to do it. So when when it got shot, evidently, it's kind of like a, a solar th- flare came from the sun and, you know, hit her and, and whatnot. But mm-hmm. a note with that, there's also something that um, that we've seen this happen before. Uh, it's but it's hard to think about at the end of Guardians I, one. No, I think it was Captain America, or I think it was Captain America, or or maybe it was the first Avengers movie. I'm almost positive it was the first Avengers movie. Um, they show a scene where a guy called Baron Strucker, uh, a minor villain that gets defeated at the very beginning of Age of Ultron. Um, yeah. He he has Loki's staff, which we now know is the mind gem in it. And he was doing the same thing. He was trying to siphon power off of his staff, which seems to be another container for the gem. And the mind gem is what they use to create vision? Correct. Correct. And in and, and the next Avengers movie, they go and retrieve the staff, and uh, Ultron uses it to make vision. Um, and he even breaks apart the staff, which the container, to get the stone. Okay? But right. the, what I'm trying to get here is that Strucker tries is trying to cause experiments to siphon off energy, just the way Marvell was trying to do, just the same thing, and mm-hmm. and the exact and what he did was he was able to take that energy and transfer it into two people. Do you remember who that is? No. Here's your, here's your mover. He he transfers it into Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Is that Quicksilver is Quicksilver the brother? Those are the yes, the siblings, the twins. That's and and at the, the 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 tag at the end of the first I think it's Avengers or another one of those movies is that is him showing them in like cells and she's playing with her mystical power and he's running really fast around the, the cell and mm-hmm. and he and Strucker says something like so far experiments with the staff have cre- created only these two people so they siphoned off power from the staff and made Scarlet Witch and made Quicksilver right. Okay, from again the Mind Stone. All right. Okay. Now, now we're leaning even further. Now we take up to in- Avengers: Infinity War. Who has mm-hmm. the Mind Stone? Vision. Vision. Who's the only person that can blow up the Mind Stone? Uh, Wanda. Wanda, Scarlet Witch, and why can she? And she even says it multiple times. The power's the same. Her power comes from the same thing. Sure. That power is from that gem. It's like the ring. They got to take it back to Mount Doom where it was yeah, forged. Right. And she's the only one that can b- 
break. That's why she can break it. She's literally using the power that it, its own power. Sure. That, that she got from it. So anyway, that's, that's the whole Tesseract power giving to Captain Marvel. You know, that's why uh, Wanda is so powerful. Same way because she gets her stuff from the gym. Vision is so powerful. Gets himself from the gyms. So that's, it's a, it's a big Marvel ish thing. Which, the thing is, is that uh, when the gyms all die, what, who are we going to get power from then? So, which gym? Which gym do they have in Guardians? The uh, they have the power gym. The power gym. Yeah. And what it's does it one, do? It's just it's just powerful. I mean, it just I see. it just gives you power. Run, running strength. out of ideas. Yeah, I mean that, that was kind of like the base thing. Strength, there's, maybe. There's the soul where mm-hmm. maybe uh, um. What's it? Gamora, Gamora is. Yeah, the, the uh, Soul Gym is is supposed to make all of them work together. So they're all individual, powerful, but the Soul Gym connects them all. Space power. Space is teleport, teleporting. Mind, mind is mind. Uh, is mind. Time, uh, time. Strange had. Yep, and reality. So are there six? Did I count wrong. There are six. Mm-hmm. You got them all. And reality was not used very well. It was used um, it first introduced in Thor The Dark World as kind of like a uh, a liquid form type thing. Hmm. Um, but And the main bad guy, Malekith, was trying to use it to get all of the realities and the worlds aligned. Um, he didn't use it really well. Thanos uses the reality gem actually how you might think altering reality does. And we see him sure. do that to, multiple to times. To completely, for the well, I'm going to make a definitive statement, but don't at me. For the yeah. first time in the entire MCU, a hero character makes the selfless sacrificial choice and is completely undermined by that uh, reality stone. Yeah. And that's I that's that was Quill cool. that was shooting cool. uh, Gamora. Yeah, which was which a explains cool scene, why he, right? Why he loses his cool later because he did the thing he was supposed to do. He did the thing that always makes a Marvel hero win. And uh, right. it didn't. It didn't work. It doesn't matter. Still, the 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 worst hero in all of Infinity War is Peter Quill, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, eh. all, all around because he just super foul, which makes actually his character really interesting because he's fallible, and it's only going to make him more interesting going forward that he's not a perfect hero in sure. any stretch, right? Peter I mean, Quill never was. It's the it's the outcome that that Strange foresaw, so it's what had to happen. And that's what Sydney said. Sydney said he had to do it because that's the only way to go. And I was like, uh, okay, whatever. I mean, he, it's not, that's not like his decision. It's a thing that strange knew was going to happen. Right. And because right. it was, it was the only, it was the only, only way to, for that to happen, but the only path forward. Yeah. So anyway, Cap- Captain Marvel was good. It, it, it brings her into the thing. I liked, I liked the, um, my take on the, the aging thing was pretty damn incredible. I thought that, uh, Coulson was a little bit in Kenny Valley, but, Man, I just did not see any problem with Sam Jackson at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if what what contributes to that. Uh, I don't know either. It just he was. It felt like just a normal Sam yeah. young Sam Jackson. Yeah, I bought it. I bought it the yeah, whole time. I totally bought into it. So that that was great. Uh, Mendelssohn, that guy, man, he's been in some movies, right? Ben Mendelssohn, the the scroll leader. Like he was in yeah. Rogue One. He was in Ready Player One. I thought he was familiar, but I couldn't figure out who he was with all the prosthetics and stuff. Yeah. 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 
And then when he, he, he took, like, I saw, I heard the voice right away. When he was the scroll at the beginning, I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. Ben Mendelsohn. I, I could tell the voice right away. And then when, like, Fury's boss comes on the scene and it's him, the actual actor, I'm like, oh, well, that was, you know, <laughs> chance to him play himself. Right. I, I do like the little the little comment that he says, like, oh, I want I liked wearing his blue eyes or something like that. That was funny. <laughs> uh, I, I want to leave this subject with a, a little thought for anyone listening is that uh, my little predictions. I, I don't read Captain Marvel comic books. I haven't. Um, I, I've started to read a couple of them uh, since then, but I don't know the supporting cast or characters or anything like that. But the fact that this movie takes place in the 90s uh, just makes me believe that a lot of the things are going to happen in the future with that like namely uh monica I, or monique or something the little girl i guarantee you she's all mm. gonna grow, be growing up and she'll oh, be a major yeah. character I, did, I didn't think about that right here's a here's here's one more one more question you yeah. uh you graduated high school in 94 yep yep okay and i graduated in 99 how did you feel about this soundtrack uh particularly compared to something like the at least the first half of Umbrella Academy. Oh, man, I didn't get the Umbrella Cat- Academy as much as that it's, stuff. But it's a it's a real a real leading question. I watched yeah. this movie with um, uh, my dad, who's obviously older than me. He's in his late fifties. Yeah, and um, I hope he's older than you. <laughs> right, right. And uh, two of my siblings who are uh, thirty three and like twenty four, and my sister who's nineteen, and both of the older ones um, thought that the music picks were too obscure. Oh, really? See, I actually don't. I thought like right. I knew every single I, one. I I didn't either. Like, there's a like she starts fighting uh, to the Gwen Stefani song, and and um, Andrew goes, "What is this song they're playing? It's so weird." I'm just I was a like, girl. "It's yeah. it's I'm just a girl," and he's like, "Oh, I get it." Right. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, every other song, I'm like, yeah, they didn't play "Smells Like Teen Spirit," but they played. Um, they played another one, like "Heart Shaped Box" or something, didn't they? They played one of the other Nirvana hits, and I'm like, I'm right. not a Nirvana fan, and I recognize that it's not a deep cut. No, I felt I felt that the the music that they played was definitely '90s, I mean, and it was a Nine Inch Nails thing, and he comments and it on was the subtle. Way. I was I was reminded of the soundtrack to Black Panther, um, which was very like this weird sort of hybrid between hip hop and the normal um, symphonic film score. Mm -hmm. Um, This was like, it's the nineties. So we're going to use nineties music, but it's not over the top. It's all pretty subtle. It's not like some of the music in um, the guardians franchise. You know, it's funny when this show, a lot of movies will try to show their era that they're in by music one is another one is by pointing out social issues that are different from now mm-hmm, and today's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you watch a movie in the set in the sixties, it's, it's almost invariably, they're going to mention, you know, racial, uh, strife. And, sure. you know, you, you see in the seventies, it's going to be about sexual freedom or, mm-hmm. you know, this the, movie definitely uh, did that. This movie that did that as well. I think that it, it was I'll, it, me being from the nineties. I, I would say that's pretty much a, a really hard spot in my, my youth. Um, sure. Is that, um, you know, and I'm, it's also very fresh. I know, I remember a lot about the 90s. Is that uh, I can look back on that and say, oh, it didn't have the social issues of the, the 
you know, 60s and the 50s or whatever it might be. But this movie did point out some that I look back and say like, oh, yeah, that kind of was a thing. And I'm sure it's much more bigger thing for people now. Namely, like they didn't let women fly combat missions was one thing, which Mm. now we look back at that and like that just makes no sense. But back (laughs) then, yeah, it totally was. She lands. I remember that. She lands in that blockbuster, and uh, and my brother, who's, I mean, I don't, he's twenty four, but mm-hmm. he's like, oh, those VHS tapes, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, obviously, he's used VHS tapes. I think it actually might have been my sister behind. She's nineteen. She's like, are those VHS tapes? I'm like, yeah, the right. yeah. video store used to be full of VHS tapes, well, full and, of uh, full of them, right? But down to like all the movies, they were all the right movies. Like I recognized almost every box where she, yeah. and then she she picks up the right stuff yeah. like uh it's so hilarious so bad well it was even funnier was the follow-up scene right after that she's like where can i go to get communications device and he points over to the radio shack yeah i i called that he's like he points and i'm like oh it's a radio shack it's a radio shack which exactly of course it would be like right? you know rem- do, you, do you millennials remember radio shack yeah i i doubt many people remember radio shack yeah right? yeah that was the electronics place place to go. So, yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I hey, before we move off this subject, I want to make a comment that I was really, okay. really liked a lot was they're the same thing, but two points. One is the the opening with Stanley and Marvel mm. was incredible. Yeah. Like that was it, really good. That was so incredible. It got an ovation from everyone in the theater after that. After that went, and I was like, I "Absolutely!" And Sidney's mm. talked about it multiple times. Nice. It was just so neat to show, you know, all of his stuff, and then it come up with this huge presentation of, you know, Stanley. Um, Marvel's done. They could have really done some nice things and put out some press releases and moved on, but they have really, really made a point to show, the, you know, their appreciation for the man, not just in the comics i mean in the, in the comic book world uh cinematic universe but in the comic book world as well every for yeah. like two months every comic book had no title on it and just said stanley across the top of it in black and then the first mm. page was first two pages were completely black mm. um and then it said stanley at the bottom and then it said the difference you know or thanks stan something like that so right. every comic across the entire line so that i'm I was really happy with that. The other thing that goes with it is also that his his last um, actual cameo was was an interesting one. Did, did you? I didn't catch it until the second time through. Did you see what he was doing there on the on the subway train or whatever that he was on there? I remember he was doing something, but I don't remember what. So Stan Lee was playing himself. That's the first time he's actually played Stan Lee. He, oh, okay. He was. Um, on the train, and he had a script of Mallrats. That's right. That's right. The script for Mallrats. And he was rehearsing like his one or two lines he had from that movie. <laughs> so, oh, because it's the 90s, of course. It's the 90s, right, where, where Mallrats was made. So he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was actually rehearsing his lines to Mallrats, which was pretty great. Not so supposed to be here today. Yeah, that was so. Oh, that's clerks. I'm confused. That's clerks, right? Yeah. So yeah, he yeah. he kept he kept repeating it in the background. You hear him on 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 the bus, you know, that's back funny. and forth. Actually, like on that that train scene when everybody tried to stop her from beating up the old yeah, lady. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. That yeah. was pretty good. And then they do the like the roof of the train. I leaned over to Andrew and I said, I said, oh, it's the stereotypical uh, fight on top of a train, except it's a city metro train instead of a You're right know, actual like 
you know, freight train. Or something, yeah, like they, 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 did, they did several of the scenes where, you know, the, the guy would see the squirrel that's himself and be like, what? Yeah. What's yeah. happening? So. Just, just drive that point home. Yeah. Anyway, All right. good movie. I liked it. I, it was a good origin story. I give it a B. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, not the best, but, you know, nothing, nothing bad. Nothing really wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready for, I'll tell you what, it was weird seeing her with the Avengers there at the end. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. weird to me. I, mean, I saw it twice and it was still weird to me. Did they did they do something with the aging? I couldn't tell if she looked older or I mean maybe her hair was I don't think so. I think she's the same. I think she's the same, but Yeah. Yeah, I mean I might have to explain that away, but man, it was weird seeing Captain like what you know of Captain America next to her. Mm. That's that just felt like two juxtapositions of stuff. I'll, I'm sure I'll get used to it. I don't know what they're going to do with Endgame. They're just going to start off with like, "Hey, here's this new person, deal with it." You know? Well, I mean, they sort of set it up like they they found the pager and they called her and she showed up. So, well, yeah, I, I guess. But I mean, most of these Marvel movies, you kind of it's always enriching to watch the other ones, but you don't have to necessarily see them. Well, I don't know. That's not true the, of Infinity War. You're though. right. Infinity War. You need to. You're right. All right. Like let's okay. uh, we're we're running long on time here. We yeah. still have to talk about our 2020 movie challenge. <laughs> Uh, this week's pick is the 2006 uh, comedy drama Little Miss Sunshine, or yeah, I, dramedy. That, that, that's a like. dramedy. That's a good one. I was wondering how you were going to categorize. I, I have I have a feeling that a lot of the movies on this poster are going to be dramedies. Uh, yeah, probably. I, I hope they they have the Eddie in the end of it, and not just dramas. Uh, I, I was nervous because I had not seen this one. Right. And I was wor- worried most of the time through that this was going to end up horrifically. <laughs> All right. This this was a weird one. Uh, so this is a uh, Fox Searchlight film, and i I've been dropping that that name a couple times, and so I had to I had to look it up, get a little get a little context. Um, they're the division of Fox uh, that does um, distribution of independent uh, and sometimes foreign. British uh, art house type films. Okay. They're the division of Fox that does, for lack of a better word, smaller stuff. Yeah, not, not, the, uh, not the big blockbuster stuff. And, and someday in the next couple of years, they'll also be part of Disney. Yes. So, so what you're saying is they didn't make the X-Men in, franchise, in the right? <laughs> right, no. Right. Uh, it um, won Academy Awards for uh, Best Original Screenplay. And okay. Best Supporting Actor uh, by Alan Arkin. Oh, wow. Okay, really? Which is kind of strange because his part was relatively small. But I had that thought, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, seeing him in this role, I'm like, I have a pretty clear idea of what kind of character Alan Arkin is going to play. Like, this is a, it's a different character from his True. his more recent character in um, Kaminsky Method. Yeah, or uh, we fairly recently rewatched uh, Get Smart, where he's mm-hmm. playing the the boss of their fake CIA, whatever, right. and doing that the rivalry uh, stuff. It's it's you know he plays like a funny, gradual man. I don't know if I would call that best supporting actor material, but then again, the thing about awards is that it depends on the year and what else. Was it's, out. Yeah, it depends on what else was out in that like, year. There could have um, been like nobody that was any good at supporting actor, and he like so. 
Uh, we're going to talk about this movie and probably spoil the ending, but at the end, we're going to give our final impressions and rating uh, spoiler-free. So if you don't want to be spoiled on this movie, Little Miss Sunshine, skip ahead. So I think that th- I have mixed feelings about this thing, uh, namely because it was kind of a happy and positive thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I-, I-, I did like screenplay is a good a good word, I think, because it moved things along and it hit hard. It hit hard. It did not pull any punches on anything, yeah. but but it it moved it quickly. Like the 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 kid, I think, is specifically out of many, but one is that when the the older boy finds out he's colorblind and then loses his shit, or sorry, his mind. <laughs> There's our one slip up. Is is that sure. I, I think that. Uh, he loses his mind and he goes upset and that could have lasted forever. And it could have been like the whole point and a huge thing that complicated the movie, but they mm-hmm. quickly address it. They deal with it. It's a big thing. It's never not a big thing, but it doesn't dwell forever on it. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was going to ask you what your favorite moment was or some equally sort of vague leading question. Probably kind of maybe ish. I, I don't remember all of the moments, but there were at least two to three moments where I laughed out loud at this movie. Okay. Um, I watched the trailer with some of my family to to determine whether we wanted to watch it together. Yeah. And seeing the sort of setup with the dinner table conversation with the, uh, you know, Steve Carell is playing yeah. a gay man and there's, there's suicide themes. I'm like, eh. Mom and dad are probably not interested in this. I don't right. know who else is. I ended up watching it by myself. That whole that uh, whole dinner table scene sets up the feelings of the movie. Right? Yeah, it like, sets up all of these characters. You're like, there's Greg Kinnear's character who is just insufferable. Insufferable. Just the worst kind of type A domineering salesperson kind of personality. Right. Um, just a but terrible. I forget... I wish I could remember now which which were the moments uh, that I laughed at because because they were really funny. And then that moment you described where he has that breakdown and um, the mom tries to help him and he uh, goes off on her. This is um, Tony Collette, who was one of the voices in Mary and Max from oh, okay. a couple weeks ago. OK, um, plays the mom. And, you know, he throws that accusation and he's. The, the character of the son is this sort of stereotype, late 90s, early 2000s emo yeah. kind of character. Yeah. But for anybody who's lived through that age and it's recent enough or whatever that you remember it, like it's a rough time. It is a rough like, time. And you get the, that the, feeling from him. Right? There are all these stereotypes and it's really easy to just once you once you age out of that to to look back on it and go – uh, I know you think that matters, but it really doesn't. Yeah. But when you're in it and you're, you know, experiencing hormone changes and all that stuff, it really, really does. It really feels like it does. And he and, got he, he he got he portrayed that really well, and the writing was well for that, right? Yeah, yeah. And his, I mean, he plays that. You know, he doesn't talk, and it's and it's stoic. But um, when it the little sister had, goes, it helps that he had uh, Steve Carell's character there. I think that was a great those yeah two there, right? yeah that pairing was really really good um when the sister goes up there and she doesn't she doesn't do anything but just you know 
put her arm around him yeah i i i i I got a little choked up yeah i mean it's it's so it's just it's just simple human connection yeah and and you know what that's actually uh, it it was this is where i have mixed feelings about it because i you know i i had everyone has issues as they grow up that aren't perfect that aren't the the little house in the prairie family things that you or know, whatever your version of an ideal life is yeah. nobody lives that life right and and, and it, you have moments where things feel extremely stressed and terrible and and this was sure. one well, this is one of those moments where things went spun wildly out of control and nobody knows what to do um and and when the screen but the screenwriters write this this thing they wrote it well and the director and the actors played this as like okay this is you I, I had a feeling all of a sudden the feelings that came to my mind was like, I can't think of a time in my life, but I know I've had them right. That were, right. where this has happened to me somehow I've been in this kind of emotional situation with somebody else or with myself or with family or whatever. And then when they handled it quickly, I was happy it too. I also know that, like you said, people have these tough things in life, but they're still, somewhat rational it's not always hollywood where they're going to go off and commit suicide or they're going to try to kill everybody or they just well, have an extreme blow up and then kind of come back around because it's family and it's and it was not and it was not like a major plot point in the movie how many how many stories how many movies start with uh somebody catching somebody cheating Right. And that that becomes like the catalyst for their major change that they meet somebody else or whatever. This wasn't any of that. And I really appreciated the timing of it. I was getting to a point like just as they're leading up to this, like we've had the big fight between the parents. Um, You know, his book is not going to sell or whatever he's trying to sell is not going to sell. And I was like, I was like, okay this movie is okay. Like, I don't know where they're going from here. I, I saw yeah. it once, but it's so long ago that I don't remember any details. Yeah. At least I'm pretty sure that I saw it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, well we'll see where it goes. And then this, and then this breakdown moment happened and it's so like, the emotions of it are just executed so well because they're, they're going in the, you know, the parents are tense and the, the three, you know, the uh, Alan, Alan Arkin's character has died. And so it's just like this stressful kind of crazy thing. And they're just playing this game back there. And and you have this moment. It's just like Steve Carell is just like, yeah, they, if you're colorblind, they won't let you pilot a jet. All right, wait, all of and, the things that happened in that movie, I was I kept like cringing of like... They said, "Oh, we're all about honesty." I'm like, "There was so much honesty in this movie that didn't need to happen." Like, the, the I know it's a family thing, but ugh. the like the the completely opposing parenting styles of uh, Tony Collette and Greg Kinnear, like, yeah. just fun, like at a fundamental level, um, it's just so different uh, that just it's it felt so real. In the yeah. most uncomfortable way, in, and then like uncomfortable, you, uncomfortable you know, the, a lot in this movie. The, the 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 you know he has the colorblind thing, and it's like like he's having a panic attack, and they're just like you know they've had trouble with this van bus the whole movie, and it's just yeah. like just just pull over, like you have to pull over right now. Which which um, drove me another thing that drove me about Greg Kinnear's 
character is that this whole like type a ridiculousness i mean it's like yeah. something's happening right there just immediately pull to the shoulder instead of like arguing with it before it happens and like trying to control right. the situation i hope everything he did was just drove granted there's times when he kind of comes around and after he loses his you know big thing but right. uh yeah, I don't. I don't know. It, it was it was uncomfortable, and I know that's a lot of <laughs> reasons why people put things on a a top list it is because you know it make puts you out of your normal thing, and you like to feel uncomfortable. Because well, it's not that. It's that it's it's usually worth it, right? Like the the payoff of the connection between the brother and sister was made by walking through all the discomfort that came before it, like right. Like he hates everybody, but even though he doesn't say this, he doesn't hate her, and he doesn't really hate everybody. Yeah, because but, he, remember he tells he tell he writes to to his his sister go hug go mom. hug mom. Yeah, right, exactly. Because he wouldn't do it because that's not what a teenager would do. But right, he he but, still feels for his mom, but he still has that emotional awareness. Yeah, for sure. Right, right. So so there was a lot of that was really good. I, some of the other things that were just constantly think, oh, what do I think about this movie? It's like the grandpa with <laughs> at one point. I like, I like this guy, I like Alan Arkin's character, but then like, like when the, the, was it the stripper kid scene happens? And I'm like, man, I all of a sudden I feel all bad. This is terrible. Like, I, you know what I'm talking about? Like when she's doing the, uh, the dance at the beauty pageant. At the end, I, I wanted to ask you as a, as a, as a guy that, has two daughters. How did you feel about the end sequence? All of it. Aside, I hated. like I, aside I from, skipped. I aside skipped from it, wanting actually. to. Aside from wanting to slap that uh, organizer woman in the oh, face. All of it. All of it. It was very difficult for me to watch, and I skipped through, like, skipped quickly through the dance scene because it was so uncomfortable and so, mm. so, just got in my. The, you ever have that feeling that on your tongue at the back of your thing? It's like I just, ugh, it's on edge of me, and that that movie was doing it because. Beauty pageants in general just drive me insane. Why anyone, why it's ever a thing. Um, right. And, and this was just showing it. I mean, you see them all the time and you're like, the, oh, they're just making fun of her or whatever. But this was very much a, a I guess it's because probably because the writing, you know, it's just the way that this was a pain in the butt that I hated everything about it. Um, and they hated everything about it. And this little girl who is just excited and happy and these other girls who are, put up with you know trying to look like adults it was just so yeah so bad i i vaguely remember the first time i watched this just being sort of uncomfortable by the fact that she is like seven years old um and apparently in in reading some of the notes on this movie she's apparently wearing some padding to make her look a little bigger than the other girls but um i i just remember being sort of disturbed by the fact that they have this seven-year-old girl dancing to rick james super freak right but um watching this again they do all this setup and they show the other contestants and i'm like what kind of twisted thing like i'm sure that well maybe i'm not sure but i hope that the the parents involved don't really realize that they are sexualizing these children yeah right I mean, they're that, like for they're sure. strutting they're doing these victoria's secret catwalk walks in these uh, bikinis and stuff and they're like 
seven, eight years old. I'm like, this is awful. This, this is, is such awful. an awful and, thing. But it's so real. And it's just, oh, it's, it's, it's and terrible. Then, and then they get to her dance. And I'm like, I'm like, what is this? I know that there was another movie around the same time where um, uh, a girl does, you know, she has some adult help, whether it's a parent or, or uncle or something, do a school talent show performance and every other student does memories from cats Mm -hmm. and this girl does god that's good from um uh shoot the barber um sweeney todd oh yeah and it's like it's completely inappropriate murder kind of thing and i was like is that this movie and obviously it's not it's super freak and that song starts and she starts dancing she starts doing these you know uh like sort of stripper dances and i was like oh this is like it's like alan arkin's character's one last statement one last like kind of statement slash prank okay so right okay wait because that's where you and i see something very different (laughs) well let let me just let me just complete my my observation that i made last night i'm like everybody else here is um is letting their daughters be sexualized in these like seemingly oblique ways, but it's still the same thing. And Alan Arkin, his character like is honest about it in a maybe kind of funny way, really more of an F you kind of way. I don't know. That was, that was how it seemed to me. I'm not a parent. So, right. So uh, I will say that I saw it not that way at all. And that's one of the the worst parts of the movie. Not worst. I mean, I get it, but it was a very dark part of that movie that that for me was was that actually there's a scene very soon before he dies that he te- he tells her that he's in love with her and that he doesn't just love her. He's and you you kind of think it's a sweet thing, but it's a little weird because he talks about how beautiful she is and how it's her looks that are so thing. He does and he makes a point to say that he doesn't just love her, he's in love with her. And then he you find out that he's making this very sexual stuff for her and he's all about like getting having sex, doing sex, over sexualizing stuff, getting porn magazines. And then mm-hmm. he spends an inordinate amount of time with his his granddaughter, and by by themselves. And then this comes out that he's teaching her a stripper dance, and that this is okay. And I I can see where you're coming from with this, but just what I saw just before then, with his interaction with her, made me feel like, oh man, Grandpa was yeah. Grandpa's a creepy, like pedophile I, type person I, and that can, made me feel that i can way sort really of bad. see his his conversation with uh with the son um i can i can see how you like to me i interpreted all of that as just you know affirmation yeah like, and just and that's that's like, a happier she, way to think about it she's <laughs> got she's got this dad who's super critical super pushy type a kind of person and you know grandpa is just there to say you know no, not even if even if he doesn't believe it, you know, yes, believe but, this but about Grandpa yourself. But Grandpa supported this and her doing this the whole time. That's he, true. He, he That's never true. didn't. He never pushed back on the beauty pageants. He never mentioned about it. Matter of fact, when she got it, he was just ex- excited and ready to, to support her with it. Like he was mm-hmm. all about her. And again, for the most of the movie, you're thinking that it's that it's just a support of Grandpa. But then he kind of really crosses the line in the hotel room, and then. 
later on with that it made me feel that like i like that's why i said it earlier it made me feel really weird that i liked alan arkin's character up into that point where i was like mm. oh he's a creepy old pedophile and, interesting and and that was like and th- then i started thinking like ooh, i'm not mad that he died he got he died before anything else could happen there and damage that poor little kid so yeah, that's what I said. I have really mixed feelings about this show because at one hand it's positive and it does have positive things, but it makes me feel extremely uncomfortable about all the topics that are supposed to be uncomfortable. And I know a lot of people yeah. will say that's the reason why it's so great. So, All uh, right. So that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know that we've, we've ever had that before with just a completely different interpretation of, um, yeah. Of writing and I wonder what the screenwriters meant. I'd like to go back and, and research a little bit. Of that. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, let's let's answer the question: Is this a a bucket list movie? As in, you you should see this once. A a good movie? As in, you should you know watch it several times, or a a one you could pass on. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Well, I I asked, so you go. Okay, ahead. Uh, I'm going to say one you could pass on. Uh, I think it's fine, but I don't think it had anything that you had to watch. Uh, and I mean, it's it's close to uh, to watch it one time. I actually today when I was thinking about this, you asked this question. I wanted to say a one time. It's clearly a one time thing. But now that I mm-hmm. kind of even think back about it, um, I don't feel that I not seeing it missed out on anything. I, I think there's sure. other other shows that were do the same kind of topic maybe better or still funny and it was fine but i don't think you need to, it does, i would not put it on a bucket list this is that's me this that's is a, clearly me this is a heavy movie that has some some good moments some heartfelt moments um if you're bothered by uh again topics of suicide or um you know, if you if you're really bothered by an excess of uh, interpersonal conflict that's really stressful, or if you you know are really opposed to the entire concept of beauty pageants, which is not an unreasonable point of view, um, you could probably pass on this movie. If yeah. if none of those things are true for you, this is probably worth seeing once. That's true. That, that's very well said. That's, I think, that's I, my. I, I think that those. Opinion. I think that if those are things that you don't care for this is not one because this is what this is yeah. about this is about yeah. those those very uncomfortable and all of the topics all at once sitting at that <laughs> one table right that one table yeah. and, they, and they hit it yeah. early and, Maybe, and I, will, I will say about this movie is that it, it happens quick and then it starts to get halfway through alleviate that stress every everything's set up early and then you and then you just kind of are along for the ride in this old vw bus maybe if you're on the fence go watch the trailer because the trailer shows you some of that dinner scene that we mentioned um mm-hmm. and that'll give you a sense for uh for whether you want to see this movie and you want to talk about uncomfortable they hit the nail on the head with the rest of the, the movie when they make that darn horn stick and you're like yes this is a this is a, a allegory for this whole movie right it's just <laughs> randomly beeping and you just don't know what like, to do about it I was like, why don't why doesn't why don't they pull the fuse? Something. Some, why doesn't the cop tell them to pull the fuse? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's so anyway. That's spoilers. But uh, okay. Next week we've got the uh, 1958 Alfred Hitchcock film noir psychological thriller Vertigo. 1958. We are going back. This is not even. Oh, this is super old. 
way back. I I saw this movie years and years ago. It's um, uh, Jimmy Stewart, and uh, yeah, it's great. This, I, this is one of the ones that why we watch this because I've not seen this. So I don't remember really anything about it except the weird like vertigo scene is like a camera zooming that you know level of special effects they had in 1958 um yeah you know I you know personally I, as much as as you like to kind of point out that there are several movies that i've seen that you haven't seen and and that you're catching up i think the last several that we've had have been where you've seen them and i've not the seen other them. way around yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's good instead that's a good of, thing it makes me feel in, like i need to see them something instead yeah. of going back and watching ghostbusters for the first time i was like man there's so much hitchcock i haven't seen i've never seen vertigo <laughs> right and i and i have acrophobia i'm afraid of heights so uh, it's it's gonna be a thing then okay all right well man you know what if we saved one life today then i think it was worth it man yeah good good stuff one life today (laughs) uh you've been listening to the front porch this is episode 81 thanks as always to our friends at geek scholars movie news if you like movies film headlines previews and glorious podcast form check them out geeks college movie news if you like star trek role-playing or star trek role-playing and you don't mind excessive mom jokes uh, check out our <laughs> other show klingonsanddragons.com it's not safe for work if you have questions comments your take on little miss sunshine if you chose to watch it along with us you can email us frontporchpod at gmail.com if you go over to our website, frontporchpodcast.com, we've got contact forms, our schedule of the 100 movies in the 2020 challenge. You can see what's coming up next. I think we've got Up in a couple weeks. Oh, that'll be fun. See, good that'll be, that. aside from the first 20 minutes. Um, All right. <laughs> if you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, if you'd leave us a review, that would be great. Thanks, as always, for joining us. And until next time. I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For the front porch. Hi, guys. See you next time.